oh my Put me in coach, I'm ready to play fantasy I know I turned two in a day, but the laces ain't hot in my veins I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today And smash play, I'm prepared to listen The x fippin' whip got me looking way past the pitches Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first He can say I'm ready to go <laughs> I ain't tryna steal second or third Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn 2 Turn 2 What it do? Hey everybody, welcome back to the Turn 2 Podcast brought to you by rotofanatic.com. I am your host, Matt Williams. Joining me as always on the podcast, Mr. Brian Seymour. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We're past the holidays. Happy January, Brian. Yeah, same to you, Matt. Happy New Year. Um, feeling really good. You know, I felt compelled about 28 times to write some kind of 2021 year in review or what my plans are for 2022. And then when I saw everybody else doing it, it just kind of felt uh, redundant. So I keep it to myself. And uh, I don't put it out there, but I know a lot of people are, and there's a lot going on. Um, just feeling energized. You know, it's a new year. Um, as far as baseball, the sport we love goes, we've got, you know, uh, do we have optimism? I don't know that uh, some kind of deal will be reached in six weeks. I don't <laughs> What's your opinion of all this? Do you think we hear anything in January or is this just going to be a dormant month? I was hoping early in January there would be a, meeting at least you know hey everyone did you enjoy your holidays let's get back together and then slam the door in each other's face to at least start off the year right but all we've heard so far is that there is in fact no meeting set up and there are no planned meetings between either side which of course is very sad but uh yeah overall i am optimistic i don't think we're going to miss any games i think we will start on time I'm thinking maybe we might have a shortened spring training, but it's too long anyway, but you do need to get the, uh, the pitchers, uh, wound up, you know, to, to, to get a you know, to get their work in and who knows who's working out during the break and who's not, I would hope that everyone is taking the proper precautions to try to actually, you know, get their bodies ready and do everything as, as normal, but right. there's no way of knowing that. Um, someone had asked me on Twitter, uh, because I just put out my opinion of like, I can't believe they're not even scheduling a meeting. Someone put, what do you, what do you think's the best bet that uh, what's a better bet that the, um, the season um, starts on time or that the season gets canceled. <laughs> and oh I don't know if there was even people out there that thought that 0% chance the season gets canceled. Everybody, uh, no one's going to miss out on that kind of money. There will be a season, but um, yeah, I still, I'm still pretty confident it starts on time. Yeah, that sounds a little bit like leftover COVID fear to me. <laughs> Thinking the entire season is going to get canceled. Yeah. Um, I yeah, I don't think we're heading down that way. But like you said, you know, we've talked about it many times. I think other people on other pods have as well. Um, as soon as somebody starts to lose money, we're all of a sudden we're probably going to have a deal. So yeah, my money's on mid February, and we just got to be patient. Just playing the waiting game right now. Yeah, so I'm no, I'm I'm optimistic. I mean. I'm, like you said, I think as soon as pitchers and catchers roll date rolls around, they'll come to some kind of resolution before. I mean, everyone's like, Oh, you know, everyone's not being treated fairly. It's like, yeah, they all, they all are making a lot of money. And there's a lot of people mm-hmm. like, how dare you defend the owners? They, they're cajillionaires. The players make a lot of money. And I know right. that like, that's the top end, the lower end, like the, especially the minor leaguers, the, you know, 
they don't get paid for a full year. It's kind of like teachers and uh, Ellie, they're only starting to put them in nice housing. And there's a lot of, if, you know, there's a lot of gray area here, but I would think that there's, <laughs> you'd think they'd be able to come to some freaking revol resolution, but of course, you know, they're not going to, and it's going to be ugly. And I think we'll still start on time. So whatever, we're not going to talk about that. We're going to talk about fantasy baseball. Yay. Yeah, fantasy being the key word that we're just pretending like everything's worked out already and we're going on with the season. <laughs> Over the it's last kind of a choose your own adventure. Yeah, exactly. We're choosing it. We're choosing this door. Door number one. Door number no door number two. Don't go, don't even peek behind door number two. So the the last month we've we talked a lot about best ball because that's a that's a fun, you know, draft champion like draft and holds in best ball are the best kind of drafts to jump in early in the draft season. Um, you know, because they don't require as much in-season management as, um, as other leagues. And you can kind of, you can kind of like draft several teams and still, and still manage them quite well, especially best ball. Cause obviously you've got to do nothing. So the topic of today's show is basically the strategy, the difference between a season long league, what everyone would consider a standard redraft where you draft a team, there's a waiver wire, you set weekly lineups and versus best ball in terms of actually making money, which is Brian's wheelhouse, making money in best ball. But there's a very big difference between drafting a team in best ball and drafting a redraft team. And I'm not talking about like, I'm not talking about just, uh, you know, know your settings. You obviously need to do that for every league. You want to know your scoring. You want to know your settings, but there's specific difference where if you're playing for volume and, you know, you, you have a team where you can't draft, you know, there's no waiver wire at all. Uh, there's a very different things to do. So anyway, we're going to get into the show today. We're going to talk about the differences specifically in best ball, um, how you handle, you know, drafting, how, drafting a team. If you're drafting in volume, how it differs from season long and what you should do in the different formats. So Brian, uh, that being said, I'll kind of let you uh, take the lead here and uh, kind of lead us into the intro for how to win at best ball. Yeah, so, I mean, we've been talking a lot, like you said, Matt, about fan tracks over the last few weeks and the bevy of options they obviously have in terms of best ball, draft and hold right now. Actually, they even have, well, we are in January, I do forget, but they even have their regular kind of in-season managed drafts uh, set up on almost every night through the rest of January, February, and of course in March. So um, lots of stuff going on at fan tracks right now. And yeah, I wanted to get into today, um, you know, for some folks that may have remember my old podcast that used to be called the Fantasy Best Ball Exclusive, later on became Roto Wager. Uh, Derek Rhodes was a frequent guest of mine, a longtime best baller as well. And we talked a lot about, you know, this time of year, like you said, Matt, is all about draft and hold draft champions if you're on the NFBC and best ball. That's what people are doing right now. You're usually this early, not quite drafting your in-season managed leagues. People like to wait until like March to do that. Um, but yeah, for best ball, I think it's important to know that, especially on a format or on a on a website like Fantrax, where you've got the $10 price point, $25 price point, $50 price point. They even actually do have a $100 best ball as well. These entry fees depending on your situation or, you know, whatever bankroll it may be that you're willing to allocate to fantasy baseball, this kind of lends itself to playing in high volume, which is what I have always done. My buddy Derek has always done as well. And I know from my own experience and people sliding into my DMs on Twitter that uh, there are people out there that want to play in that style. And, you know, they'll ask me questions about it and stuff like that and try to figure out how to set up that model. So, 
I think best ball lends itself so much to playing in high volume. Number one, because I mentioned the price points, you know, um, if you're somebody who maybe only allocate, I don't want to say only it's everybody's circumstances different. Um, my bankroll and, and, you know, I'm sure a lot of high stakes NFBC player bankrolls have grown significantly over the years, you know, so there are people doing that and you have to make proper moves to kind of, you know, go up the ladder, so to speak for the kind of leagues you're playing in. But if you're kind of starting out and maybe you have a couple hundred bucks, 500 bucks, maybe a thousand dollars, whatever it may be to get into fantasy baseball, I personally do think that you are best served playing high volume, you know, rather than putting that into, I don't know, one or two, uh, um, NFPC, like Roto wire, what's that contest called the online championship or something. I, I would much rather get into many leagues. And that's why I love fan tracks to be able to do that. Now you can also of course do that in the best ball style on the BB tens, uh, which is part of the NFC platform as well. But fan tracks is my favorite for it. And what I think is the optimal way to do this is uh, they have a couple of different prize levels here. So you can, or excuse me, like uh, prize structures, You've got your double ups, which is if you put in 10, 25, 50 bucks, you can double just by finishing in the top half of the league. A lot of people like to choose that. I know uh, our buddy John L, MLB Moving Averages, is a big fan of those and it absolutely crushes them. I think he gets over a 90% win rate in those. So that's one route you can go. That is not my preferred route. I enjoy, I guess I like living on the edge a little bit, but I like the 10x versions where. Whatever it is you're putting in, 10 bucks, 25 bucks, 50 bucks, the first overall prize is the only prize awarded, and you 10x your money. So 10 bucks, you get 100, 25, you get 250, and so on. You can probably do math. But that's what I like to do because the way I look at it, if you're going to play high volume, if you're going to have, you know, I consider high volume probably like 15 plus teams. Uh, I personally had 161 last year. You do not have to go that crazy. I actually recommend not doing it. Wasn't very good for my mental health. Uh, but if you're going to play high volume, um, to me, why not go hey, with By the way, what would you consider for yeah. anyone listening? I mean, by the way, if you want to play best ball and win money and you're like, oh, no, I don't get to play um, during the season. Uh, you can still have fun playing during the season. This is just talking about the uh, the idea of making money at best ball. But when you say high volume, that can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, some person, some casual person could think high volume is five. Some person could think it's 20. Some person could think it's hundred. So when you say high volume, what do you think is the minimum amount as far as like, you know, risk allocation and things like that to properly cover your basis from playing as a high volume player? How many leagues would you say you want to be in, um, in, in, as a general rule of thumb? What, what do you think is like a minimum you think someone should be in if you're going to play with a high volume mentality? It is a really good question because you need you need to know what that number is to feel like because the whole point of this is admitting that you're going to lose. Right. Like, you know, you, I know I'm not going to win every league. That's just not going to happen. So I think it's important to know that. So I, I just kind of threw out the number 15 there a couple minutes ago. I think probably at least 10 would be my bare minimum for this kind of format. And. If you are winning, especially if you're focusing on the 10 X's, which again is what I prefer to do, um, you're looking to win at least 20% of your leagues. 30 is a very good year. 40 is an obscene year. Okay. Uh, but it can be done. Uh, but anyway, yeah, 20, I, I want to win like 20% of my league. So that would mean if I'm joining 10, I just want to win two. 
then maybe I play second in a couple of others and you actually do get your money back on fan tracks in that case. So you can get a nice little return that way. But for me, um, I want to go bigger than that. I mean, I, I like to do much higher volume because if you think about it, Matt, like the higher you get in volume, the more you're mitigating the risk of ruin. Like, and the way I feel is if I truly believe that I have an edge and you, and you listener do as well, whatever that may be, whether it's your player analysis or your understanding of the format and the scoring, whatever it is you, you think your edge is, if it exists, you want to exploit that edge over and over and over again. It's almost like in the world of betting, you know, people that, that bet on baseball or other sports will tell you that if you've got an edge on, I don't know, Bolivian soccer or something, you want to bet on as many angles of Bolivian soccer as you can. Don't and even that's try how... to compete with me with Bolivian soccer. I'll take you all down. <laughs> I know you've been into that for the last couple of years. Yeah, that's why I threw that out there. But yeah, um, yeah. So, you know, if you feel like you have an edge, you want to exploit it as much as possible. And hey, maybe that's, you know, this, this sounds a little condescending or whatever. But if you're if you feel like um, I'm a shark and I'm swimming with the fish in all these ten and twenty five dollar leagues, hey, get in there and win them, you know. Or um, you know, a weird thing for me, just a little anecdote. Um, I actually found that I was able to exploit the higher end leagues on fan tracks the last couple of years, the fifty and hundred dollar best balls. The people that tend to jump into those are people that are practicing for roto down the line. They figure, hey, um, I'm a high stakes player. I'll plot my $50 in here. I actually, and I won't name the names, but I saw a couple names to confirm that this hypothesis is true. You're talking about Phil. We all know you're talking about Phil. <laughs> I'm actually not. I did, I've never seen, I will say. I, I see I, you, Phil. You're in all the best ball leagues right now. I see you, Phil. I personally have never seen Mr. Dusso myself in a fan tracks room, but that is just me. Oh, no, he's not in um, fan tracks. He's over uh, NFBC. He's doing the NFBC best balls right now. Oh, no, yes, I do know that. Yeah, but as far as fan tracks, no, last year I saw a couple big names actually in some of the $50 ones, and those were the easiest leagues and the leagues I actually performed the best in because I, I'm not saying that I'm better than them. Well, I am actually. I'm saying that I am better than them in that format and that they're – you know, in fairness, treating it differently. They're kind of just entering it to practice a little bit for the big time drafts that are coming later on in March. So that that's something that I personally noticed. But um, long-winded answer here, yeah. I consider high volume to be at least 10 to 15. But at these price points, depending upon your bankroll, I would get in as many as, many as you can handle. Um, I was in 25 at one time last year. Don't do that. It was terrible. Um but, you know, I, I know Derek Rhodes and I have discussed, I mean, 10 seems like a pretty optimal number that you can be in at one time. Let's, let's, pretend, like, let's pretend like normal people are listening to the show. Um, you can just do like two or three folks. You can make. <laughs> I don't, you don't I, I don't like to focus on normal. You're people, just, you're, well, yeah, if you, you're, you do a lot more than the, the minimum 15. Let's just say someone was only doing 15. They don't need mm -hmm. to jump in 10 at a time. You don't need to do that. If you're doing 15, hey, maybe you're testing the waters for the first time, okay? If you're doing 15, yeah, you're maybe in two or three at a time. Heck, we got two months still before, or three months, full months before the season starts here. So, um, yeah, I think you can handle two or three at a time. And and just go at it because, you know, you got to realize, like, don't be worried about the risk. You're mitigating it by getting in all of those leagues. Now, if the 10x format is a little bit too risky for you and you don't want to depend upon winning the league, be my guest and go ahead and try out those double ups. The only thing you want to be sure of is I want to be cashing in almost every single one of those because all you're trying to do in those 
again, is finishing like the top five out of 12, five or six out of 12, depending upon the setting. So um, you want to make sure that you're crushing those. And there are uh, different approaches to each. Obviously, you can bake in a little bit more risk in your draft style when you're trying to just win the overall league and, uh, you know, 10x your money. But if you're just trying to finish at the top half of a double up, I, I be very diligent about backing up every single position that you draft. Make sure that you're not going to be lacking at any pitching. You're taking a much more safe approach. Um, I think, you know, I think the, 50, so. the, the double ups are a good option for uh, beginners or for people that just want to take advantage of the lower um the low, the, the cheaper options, I should say. I mean, the lower cost options, because I feel like that is where you'll find the less experienced players. All you want to know is you said, if you think you have an edge, it depends on where what level you think you have. But if you're very confident that uh, you just understand the scoring, like sometimes someone will just jump into a fan tracks, best ball, it's vastly different scoring than like a regular roto or anything. If you just think you have a handle on the scoring, you're not uh, comfortable doing the 10 X. I mean, you can just do a ton of those and you're comfortable that you are going to beat definitely half the league in all of them because you just know the rules and the other, you think half the league probably doesn't understand them well enough Then yeah, you can rake out a ton of them and you won't make a ton of money, but the return will be guaranteed. But that's like everything in life, you know, little risk, little reward, but that is a smart way to gamble. Um, you know, sometimes swinging for the fence isn't the best thing, but yeah, if you just want to take, if you aren't confident in your ability, like, like, uh, Brian was saying to win an entire league, uh, it, it's a decent option. It's just like you, you won't be really swinging for the fence necessarily. But uh, if you were just want to be if you yeah, if you think you have a, the ability to just beat half the league guaranteed and you just do a ton of them, it does add up. Yeah, it does. And, you know, you can really carve yourself, <clears throat> excuse me, carve yourself out a niche in these as well. Because, like, again, a lot of people don't know the scoring. Like one thing, I'll just go ahead and ruin that for you right now. Um, Fantrax uh, basically focuses on on base percentage in the point scoring instead of batting average. Uh, the BB10s from the NFC focus more on just replicating the classic Roto game exactly or as close as they can. It's a pretty high correlation. Um, but yeah, you, you're going to be, look at the scoring is basically what my point is, but, uh, you're going to be focusing on more guys that can get on base when it comes to fan tracks. And the one thing to remember, this goes for best ball across the board. It doesn't matter where you play, uh, volume, 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 that's innings. That's at bats. You want guys who are going to play. Um, I know everybody's in love with Bobby Witt right now. I know everybody's in love with the next big thing. You know, it maybe he plays all year. Maybe he's fantastic. And I look like a big dumb, dumb. I, I, I don't care, though. I, I, it's not a risk I'm willing to take when it comes to a best ball or something like that. So uh, just remember, the name of the game is volume. And that word's coming up a lot here. Volume of leagues, volume of at-bats, volume of innings. That's what you really want to hammer in these formats. Um, and I'll tell you, Matt, like I know we were really focusing on best ball here. But I really think the draft and hold product at Fantrax is something that people, you know, if you're into more like lower stakes and playing it safe and maybe you're not quite on the NFBC yet, um, you can get into these draft and holds that pretty much replicate the draft champions format right on Fantrax as well. Now, they are not part of an overall like the DCs and the draft champions at the NFBC. Um, but in a way that's good for your bankroll because your league prizes, you know, I say something that's slightly blasphemous. Yeah. Cause I know we have a lot of NFBC followers um, and this isn't for everyone. This is for the masses. If you're trying to get in the, the allure of an overall is very overrated. If you're beginning, 
forget about it. I mean, one person wins the overall. If you, especially if you're just learning a format, if you're getting your feet wet, like you said, you want to do the DCs. DCs are 150 minimum. Uh, Brian over here only jumps in the $400 ones because he's big time. Minimum. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to get in cheap, yeah, don't worry about the over the fact that there's not an overall for some of these things. You're not going to win it anyway. I mean, you could, but I mean, it's very, very difficult. You want to shoot for that when you're taking it seriously. Overalls are great, but it's it's not the end all be all. And it's definitely not something that you want to be focusing on as a beginner. Like, oh, I'm going to jump in there and win for my first year. That's not a necessary thing, uh, especially if you don't have the bankroll to do so. So, yeah, uh, don't worry about the the overall and a lot of these things. You, you want to have fun. You want to make money. You got to make sure what your goal is. If you're just starting out, your goal is probably to get better, um, you know, to jump into the next level. So, again, don't worry, you know, make your goal what it should be and focus on that goal. Um, and that's just, that's just good advice for pretty much anything you do in life. But yeah, like you right. said, uh, it, it's a good, good option. Go ahead. Back, back to you. Well, no, I, I like what you said there because something that people do need to realize if you are starting out and you do just have a couple hundred dollar bankroll or something, you got to realize those $150 draft champions, uh, there, first of all, yeah, you're not going to win the overall there's 4,500 teams or, uh, is that right? Yeah. 4,500 or so teams in that contest. But also the $150 price point, only about 66% of everybody's entry fees are, are right there being rewarded to your league mates in that 15-team league. So I don't want to call that necessarily like a rake or a vig or a juice or whatever word you want to use because you know we know that there's an overall prize that's going back into the NFBC um, draft champions prize pool, of course. So it's not like it's just being taken away for the site or anything like that. But that's something to realize. So you're only getting that much back. The 400s, and, and part of the reason I, I do play those is if you know what you're doing and, and purchase them a certain way, you can get that number up to almost 85%. So that, that's why I enjoy that. Then there's, if you get real big time, the $1,000 price point where you get even less juice paid back. So one thing to realize, though, with Fantrax, again, the great feature here and the, the reason, you know, that because they're not part of an overall, you are getting 90%. Let me make sure. Is it 90 or 92? 91% actually is paid back. So they're only taking 9% from those draft and holds. They're only taking 8% from the best balls. So that's another great thing about Fantrax that I've always loved. I mean, you need to get into, I used to call them on my old podcast, put yourself into an advantaged place to start with. Like I'm already not paying a lot to the site. So when I win, I'm capturing most of my winnings, you know, to harken back to sports betting, it's the same thing. If I can get a line on a game at minus 110, why would I bet it somewhere else at minus 115? That stuff really builds up as time goes on. So um, I do highly recommend if you've got a, a lower bankroll, those draft and holds, you can get in the, at the uh, $50 price point, $150 price point, $250. They go up and up, but they fill the 50s like hotcakes. So if you want to get in on those over there as well on Fantrax, I think that's a fantastic place to get started. And again, not talking down to any competition. If, if you feel like you can hang with people in the NFBC, but maybe just don't have that bankroll yet. Go dominate these for a couple of years. Uh, build up your bankroll. I think that's a great way to get started. So, um, again, I, I always do preach volume. I, I would make sure you get in at least 10 or so if you've got that bankroll. But I think that's a good place to get started there. Why don't we um, talk about the, uh, for a lot of people that are listening, they're like, oh, right. And, you know, making notes like you should. Get out of pad and paper, everybody. Make some notes. <laughs> uh, player, not a player evaluation, roster construction. When you're playing volume specifically, let's talk about this for a little bit. 
because a lot of people will, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, having a, you know, various amount of different players, you know, like not having too many eggs in one basket, but you don't want to be all over the place because if you feel like you have an edge, um, you, you do, you, you do feel like you have a kind of a system that works. It's going to overlap somewhat. So as far as, um, as far as, you know, actual, like a diversifying a portfolio of players in, in as far as, you know, drafting very similar builds is in just volume only, not, uh, you know, not redraft. We're just talking like kind of best ball draft and hold only. What would your advice to the audience be as far as when you're playing in volume, as far as re- repetition um, in terms of uh, either strategy or actually player overlap? what is the best way to go about that? Because um, a lot of people may think, all right, well, I, I want to keep everything kind of the same if I have a system, but you know, obviously if one player goes down, that's important, your whole system crash and burn, but you also don't want to be too different. Otherwise, what the heck are you doing? You don't want to just like blindly draft different teams and go in there with a different philosophy, every single draft. <laughs> right. It, you know, it, it's, a, it sounds like a cop-out answer, but it's really to each his own in a way. Like, what is your risk aversion? Like a lot of these questions with choosing the leagues and choosing the players is kind of up to your risk aversion. Now, all I can do is kind of tell you like me personally in my best ball endeavors, like how I've approached it. And in terms of having, you know, so many shares of player X, Y, or Z, you you really want to be cautious, like in those first six rounds, like that's kind of your basis of the team. And I don't really want to have, say, I don't know, over about 35% of the same player on my rosters that's chosen within those rounds because it's just starting to be, you're over leveraged. Um, you, you likely don't need to be drafting that much of that guy. And, and this this percentage only decreases as you get further up to round one. You know, I do not, um, there, there were some players that I really enjoyed taking last year, first and second round that I, I was like 25%, 20, 25% was my absolute max. Like I did not want to be over invested in those guys because like you said, Matt, if they go down, if your first round pick goes down for the season, you, your ceiling is like maybe third place. Like you, you probably just already lost, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah. Cause remember why. just to recap it, just, I just want to continue to recap everyone. And this isn't the same as redraft because in redraft you can replace players and, um, there's a lot of different things you can do to try to overcome getting a hot player off the waiver wire that maybe wasn't drafted. You know, there's a lot of things you can do in redraft to recover. In best ball, you have no such luxury. That's why in redraft, sure, you can recover from anything. In best ball, it's very difficult. <laughs> it is, yeah. There, there's there's no recovering. Like if you get midway through the season and you're in sixth place, just stop following that team and kiss it goodbye because it's usually not going to be coming back. Um, so, yeah, that's why it's very important to divvy it up. I had a personal role myself. And again, the more leagues that you're in, the higher this number or the more this number can kind of fluctuate in terms of percentage. If you're only in 10, you need to be really careful about having overexposure to a certain player. If you're in way, way more than that, like I was, um, you know, you can really kind of shift that and monitor your portfolio like as the off season goes on. But I kind of made it a hard and fast rule for myself last year to not have anybody over 50%. I did not want to have any player on over half my teams. I think the deeper, I think that's a bit, um, like, I guess maybe the word would be conservative on my part. I think you definitely can go over that, especially uh, if you're talking. You, uh, about- real quick, do you change, um, just because I, again, I just have questions popping in my head. I figure the audience might be thinking, yeah. do, you, um, do you think 
it is wise to change that percentage up based on rounds. Like you don't want a certain percentage of a certain player in a certain area. Cause obviously your threshold for error uh, can go up um, later in the draft. Like you obviously don't want Fernando Tatis on every team, but last year um, you could have certainly had Brian Reynolds on every team. Uh, and if he'd went down, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But obviously if you do lose a player, regardless of where you get them, you lose those at bats across the board. So you can't afford to have an injury across the board, but in general, does your um does your threshold of percentage um roster change due to the point in the draft or is that just heart like a just a general rule because um you just don't want the risk of having over that many shares of a player? Well, it's funny you brought up the name Brian Reynolds because I believe that was my highest known player in 2021 actually. So he was kind of my MVP. Uh, but yeah, like that's that's exactly how I would treat it. Like I don't know that there's a round cutoff. But as you get further down into the draft, obviously, the, the the further back you get, the less the risk is to have that guy on your team. You know, you were 23rd round pick getting hurt that was on 60% of your rosters. It's not going to tank you like um, uh, I'm trying to use a specific name right now, but I can't really think of anybody. But like if I had Aaron Nola tons last year in the second round and he went down and had Tommy John or something like that, that obviously would have been much much worse for me. So yeah, the, the further back you go, I don't, I think after probably round, I don't know, 12 to 14 or so, I'd be okay having 50% of those players on my rosters. I would say again, I think I'm being a little bit conservative there. I know other people that are like, Hey, I don't care if it's after like round 15, give me 75%, maybe even more than that. I had, so, eight, I had 80% Brian Reynolds. <laughs> So you and uh, I mean, you'll probably do that. Well, I don't know if you'll do that again this year, but that I no, mean that worked out year. very well. <laughs> I mean, that was fantastic. So, but that's the yeah. Thing. You don't want to load up on the early uh, because I, late sleeper, right? Um, you don't want the uh, like the trendy early ones. Last year ended up at, by the time the season started, were like Andres Jimenez, Victor Robles. If you were mm. over heavy on them, you were you were screwed. That's exactly right. Yeah, you can really hurt yourself even doing that in the back part of the draft because if you think about it. You know, maybe they're your seventh, eighth, ninth outfielder or something, but all of a sudden you don't have that depth there anymore. Like, you you know, the constant here is you, your teams. So if you've got Victor Robles or somebody that can't hit his way out of a wet paper bag and he gets sent down, that's on all of your rosters. So go ahead and get Chaz McCormick too. Mix it up a little bit. Like get get somebody else. Um so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm you know, my whole thing is I am risk averse. You can see it in the way that I play and high volume, you can see it in the way that I avoid injuries, and you can see it in the way that I don't want to have too many of one player. So, uh that's really important to me. I do think though, again, you know, I'm not the authority in the be all end all on this. I do think it is important to hear other people's viewpoints and you you know, if you want to post round 30 just go hog wild and have hundred percent ownership of, of player X, then they go right ahead. I, I just, I feel like that's a bit much. So that's kind of how I divvy it up anyway. Yep. Hopefully everyone gets, you know, it's all depends on uh, the different, um, the kind of uh, league you're playing. But again, we're talking about high volume uh, best baller draft and hold. So it's a completely different animal and one that everyone should definitely uh, give a try to. Is there anything that you found so far? I mean, you're obviously trying to win, so you don't want to give away all your I secrets. Am. I mean, I'm a freaking open book, so I don't really care. That's to my own detriment. Although I won um, plenty last year with everyone knowing my playbook. Um, <laughs> the uh, as as far as this season so far, I mean, the closers we only know about eight of them. 
Um, you know, they, there's plenty of people still to be signed. So if anyone's drafting right now, is there anything in particular to this time of year that you like to do that is different now than it is closer to the season when ADP is more established, uh, more jobs are secure? Are you will, are you being are you safer this time of year? Are you more are you actually taking more risks as far as trying to take advantage of um, a little bit of, uh, you know, a value that's in out in the, the market that, you know, hasn't been quite set yet. Uh, are like basically the question to repeat it slightly is, is there anything you do different early in the draft season that might change later in the draft season as far as just general strategy? It's, it's an interesting question. I don't think that they're because I try to let the field come to me and see what they're doing so much and just be reactionary. Um, I don't know that there's any specific thing that I myself am doing, but let me give you an example. So we just a couple of weeks ago, were talking about the crazy closer market going into this year. Um, and Jenny Butler on the, it was on the CBS podcast just a week ago or so brought this up. And I, I love that she said this because I agree with her. Um, they were doing kind of their own mock draft, her and Frank Stample back and forth. And I think she was in favor of selecting Liam Hendricks in round two of this draft they were doing. And um, I thought she brought up a really good point, And that is that this is what the market is doing for closers. So you are in or you're out of the price of the market. I have seen somebody obviously not naming names within the drafts that I am doing, which, you know, you, that tells you that they're a semi high stakes player um, saying that they refuse to do this. They're not going to do it. They're not going to take these closures in even the second, third, fourth round. They'll, they'll make hay elsewhere. And I, I obviously, I don't agree that that is the correct strategy and would not do it. Um, but, you know, Ariel Cohen has brought up this point as well on his podcast, because he talks a lot about auctions. If the whole room, is valuing closers a certain way or catchers a certain way to kind of scarce commodities. If you don't mirror the way that they're treating it, you may end up with a roster that can't compete. You know, that just might be the way it is. Now, some people might say just generally, well, how about I'll zig whenever they zag or whatever. Well, well, that's okay. But realize this, we right now, Matt, how many closers do you feel? We've talked about this, but how many closers do you feel are like guaranteed, locked in? I'm totally comfortable taking these guys right now. I think I said it earlier. I think there's like eight. And I think that's being generous. But yeah, I, mean, I think like people are making assumptions. Even a guy like Gianni, Giovanni Gallegos, I'm not sold mm -hmm. on him. I don't think he has the job. I think he could have the job. Uh, but yeah. I think there's a couple of other people there that could have the job. I think they may not even have their closer on their team yet. <laughs> you don't know yeah. what they're going to do. Uh, so yeah, as far as comfort level, I think the last guy in my my uh, level of comfort, I think right now is Kenley Jansen, and he's a free agent. Uh, but because I feel yeah. wherever he's signing, he's going to close. Uh, but yeah, it's, I don't have too many people. So, and that that's kind of the general consensus. Like, I I guess there's maybe eight that I would feel kind of comfortable with. It depends on kind of how the draft's going. But if you don't conform to that, so let's say that you you just don't want to waste even one early round pick. We'll say the first five or six rounds. Because I'll tell you right now, uh, if you go six rounds without a closer, then you're you're you've probably missed this whole tier that you and I just discussed, like including Kenley Jansen. Hey, and by the way, everyone, uh, in re if if you want to have that attitude in redraft where there is fab, you can because you can survive, right. uh, even though it's still a mistake in my opinion because you have to spend a ton of fab to correct it. It can be corrected, but in best ball and draft and hold, you do not have the opportunity to correct it. So, like like Brian said, uh, uh, you can skip it. 
and you can build a juggernaut, uh, a juggernaut starting rotation or juggernaut offense. But if you can't compete in saves, especially in a draft and hold where it's like a roto format, you, you are dead. It does not matter how good your offense is. If you're going to be, you can't completely punt. You, you want to at least be at a certain level in a category. You, you, need to, you need to compete. Even if it's at the lower end, you cannot afford to completely just give away uh, an entire position. And another huge point that people, um, I think, need to take into consideration. Now, look, there's only 15 teams in this league. Not everybody can have, obviously, two of the top flight closers because the math doesn't work out. So we get there that. There's that one asshole, though, that tries to draft like three of them. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Stop it. The closer, yeah, the, clo the closer run stopped, and then this guy starts it again. Yeah. And then you, hey, you know, Jonan, you notice that in a draft where there'll be a run, and then it'll go away. And then you're like, all right, yeah. do I need to pull a player here? Now it looks like a calm down. Then the next guy takes a closer and then boom, another closer run. It just like takes one guy to like the second wave run is always annoying. Right, right. And then sometimes those guys actually kill their teams the opposite way where it's like, why did you take this many closers? This wasn't necessary, yeah. you know, but um, something that Zach uh, Roto, Zach uh, Waxman from the Draft Champions podcast brought up too. And I think this is a brilliant point is that, you know, keep in mind, if you're not going to play this game with these expensive closers, you're adding more and more bodies that you have to draft to replicate that Liam Hendricks. Like, oh, well, no, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to take Hendricks. I'm not even going to take Kenley Jansen in round six. I'm not going to take a role this Chapman. Okay, but how many bodies are you drafting that might not even be good skilled relievers that you think are just going to maybe get the role. How many guys are you going to have on your roster? that are these like mid tier relievers that might close out games. No, you know, I, I, I mean, I actually could speak from experience this year because uh, this one league took me a little off guard and I was on the turn. Hmm, um, so it's tough. a little, it's, it's, yeah. If you miss, especially the second, like I said, the second run on a position, you can, you can find yourself um, out of, uh, you know, out of luck. I had, I took Kenley Jansen in the fifth. That's how early I had to take him. Right. And then I didn't take another closer because of the way I missed out until Ken Giles, again, not even a closer necessarily in the 15th. And that's a draft champions league where like, you know, 500 people are drafted. I think I had to, I had to end up dedicating six spots to relief pitching, which is not optimal. Uh, right. I felt comfortable everywhere else, but I mean, again, you can't pick it up anywhere else. I, I felt I had to do that. And that is not what you want to do. Um, that is not what you want to do. But again, in my case, I like my team. Uh, you're on the ends. It's just, it's just the way the draft went. But like I said, yeah, you got to be prepared because uh, I didn't want to bite in as much. Um, I did at least grab my one. But uh, yeah, I should have been even more aggressive than I was. Even on the turn, you have to pull. You know, don't think of it as don't think of anyone as looking bad at a draft spot. You know, I always tell people who gives a crap what anyone else thinks. Grab what you need. Grab who you want. Grab what your team requires. Um, regardless of where it is in the draft. ADP doesn't matter. Some people say, oh, that's after eight, the round. ADP doesn't matter. ADP doesn't matter as soon as the draft starts. Um, you know, if right. your room is different than everyone else's. If someone decides that Salvador Perez is a first-round pick and JTL Ramuto is a second-round pick and Will Smith's a second-round pick, guess what? You might, not need, you might need to draft a closer or a, a catcher a little earlier. Not that that ever would happen. If that did happen, I think I'd rip all my, all my hair out. But uh, this, I'm just saying, you know, uh, in general, you got to pay attention to your own league. You got to adapt uh, regardless if it's an auction or, uh, or, an, or a snake draft. Well, you make a really good point. And this is kind of what I was talking about that Ariel Cohen brings up too now, more so dealing with auctions, but it works the same with snake drafts. 
if you enter a room now we're doing these draft champions and focusing on those a lot right now. So we have a, a solid idea of how people are going to treat things and what the market looks like, but you may enter some random room that is different and you do have to adjust to that room. One of these draft champions I was in, and I, I forget if it was John fish or might've been somebody else. I forget who it was, but fish was definitely in the draft. Um, somebody posted, um, the crazy, it was the most crazy closer pricing that has happened yet. And I mean, on the expensive side, um, I forget who it was, but they, they actually posted the, uh, the, the, the differences at which these closers in this draft were going versus the ADP of closers so far. And it was absolutely insane. I'm trying, I'm going through my leagues right now. I'm not going to out any names or anything like that, but just to give you an idea, um, Mark Melanson went in round five, I think. Um, it, it got insane. There was just nobody else. I, I mean, I think Classe went at, right at the beginning of round three, and that kind of just that energy just kind of started it all off. It went absolutely insane after that. So, if you don't adjust now, what if it goes the other way though? Like here I am, like I'm baited in right now to like, I'm wired to think that Liam Hendricks is going at the back end of round two. Josh Hader's going by the beginning of round three. What if it goes the other way? So what if I get stuck and I'm like, you know what? I don't have a share of Hader yet. I'm going to grab him here at the back round two. And then no closers go in round three or four. Now I don't, I don't think that happens, but then all of a sudden I look like this schmuck who is like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, this is what the, this is what the going rate is for closers. And now I just could have had this like fantastic bat or ace pitcher at the at the back end of of round two. So you do need to tread lightly. This is know. why it's, this is why yeah. it's nice to be in the middle of rounds. Mm-hmm. So so, so, so you can survive and adapt uh, to runs, and maybe you don't necessarily need to start one, um, which mm-hmm. is is tough to do. Because, you know, you could start a, and there's nothing wrong with starting a run, especially if you're on the end, you know, starting a run is hilarious. But if you're in the middle of a round, um, if you do um, make the decision to go another direction, you can at least try to make up for it. But yeah, when you're when you're drafting uh, on either of the near the, the near either turn, you have to either start a run or pre- be prepared to completely miss one. Um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I mean, that's, you know, but that's KDS, which is a completely other you know, complete other situation we can talk about. <laughs> and I, I am with you on that. I think this early in the off season and with the lack of, uh, it, it's, I hate to talk about the closers so much, but that's really what's driving a lot of this is like, there's so much lack of, there's so lack, yeah, such a lack of clarity that I agree with you that I am in favor of drafting in the middle right now. And I finally did get this draft pulled up. We had uh class a go in the midst of round three, um, which isn't that atypical. Uh, but then Kenley Jansen goes in round four. Will Smith, the closer, goes in round four. Our oldest Chapman and Ryan Presley and Edwin Diaz all go in round four, which forced Gallegos to go in round five. Uh, Melanson went in round five. That just crazy. And then it, I guess everybody gave up after that because then nobody goes till Craig Kimbrell in round seven. So um, you just kind of got to play the room and be careful. And I am with you. Yeah, I, I like drafting in the middle at this time of the year. But uh, I'll say one thing as far as reading the room, something that's different. This is this is kind of a general strategy thing, I guess, uh, not necessarily uh, um, for best ball or for draft and hold only. But I think it kind of is, especially if you have a two catcher format catchers this year. Are so interesting with the with the very likely DH coming. 
I think there's two people that think about this. There's there's two ways to think about this. Usually people are thinking about it the wrong way. Everyone's like, oh, the National League DH is all the catchers are going to have more at-bats. No, they're not. <laughs> um, think about how the DH is handled when they go to an American League Park uh, National League catchers now. It's going to help a few, but very few. Um, Salvador Perez is the number one catcher off the board. And he needed, uh, he's like someone who's always on the field. He had an unprecedented amount of at bats. He's not doing that again. Uh, I, I think a, his round two ADP is really silly. He's going to regress slightly. I think he's still going to hit a ton, ton of home runs, but the ADP for guys like JT real Muto and Will Smith, they will get more at bats. They will. And they'll be able to compete with a guy like Salvador Perez, um, you know, so why draft Perez in the second when you can draft those other guys a couple of rounds later? And I'm not saying you have to take catcher that early, but um, think of the guys like Tyler Stevenson of the Reds. Um, there are some catchers that will keep her Ruiz, even of the Nationals. Mm-hmm. Try to find the catchers who actually stand a chance of getting the extra bats. And I feel like instead of um, sometimes uh, you either want to get a good catcher or you just wait, I think there's a gap. I think there's a larger gap than usual because I think there's the catchers that can take advantage of extras at bats. And the other ones that are going to be stuck in the 300 at bat area. So I do think that um, this year, especially, um, especially in two catcher formats, I like to try to identify those catchers where I think those extra bats are going to come. And there's not many of them. And I I want to uh, grab catchers a little early. I don't want to be left without because I think you do have a significant edge, especially in at bats. And that really comes into play in like best ball. I want to see your opinion on this because usually it's the top of the tier and then there's a big drop off grab whoever is your favorite because they're all in a big glob. And this year, I think that there's a, a, a very, very, very top heavy, I think a catcher. And then it drops off significantly just because of the lack of the bats. The remainder will have the, uh, there's such a high ceiling for a select few that are going to be able to take advantage of those extra bats. It is a very weird market for catchers because I, I have thought for a while that my, top 10 for example which i will not reveal today um (laughs) but i feel like the back end of my top 10 might be differing from what like the standard i don't know if that uh athlon sport still puts out like catcher rankings which i man i I will say this just take a minute to say um there's so many good fantasy baseball publications but i still it just like when i'm a little kid when i when i was a younger dude or a teenager by the time we're probably getting near it, like going to the newsstand and seeing all these fantasy baseball magazines coming out. It's like the best feeling ever. I don't buy them. I don't even read them or anything like that, but I just love seeing them. So weird side note there. Um, But my top 10 catchers, when I get towards the back end of it, I think it's differing probably from like what, what some people might be looking at because I'm focusing kind of on playing time. And yeah, I'm with you. I feel like that you can easily miss and get a guy who is only going to play maybe half the season or something like that, but you're banking on that he hits 20 home runs, like a Zanino-type performance, or could uh, uh, Danny Jansen pop up? Like, I see he's forecasted for 15 homers by Steamer. Um, but how much is he going to play? You know, that that's something I also worry about. So I'm more of a fan of getting the volume of at-bats, even if maybe they aren't, you know, maybe the guy doesn't have a a chance at hitting 20 home runs, Mm -hmm. than I am of, hell, let's see what Gary Sanchez does for me this year. You know what I mean? I I, I like to play it a little safer than that. I mean, I know a lot of people are like on um, Elias Diaz and stuff. Um, or even, you know, you you mentioned a couple of the young guys, but how about Adley Rushman? I mean, like, are you that confident in his – maybe not his ability, but like how much he will definitely play this year. So that 
that stuff worries me. Or even an injury play guy like Travis Darno. Like th- these guys, I'm naming people who are in the steamer top 10. Also, Alejandro Kirk is in there. Um, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know. Hey, that yeah, yeah. So you case. said Adley Rutschman, Alejandro Kirk. There's tons of trendy guys. Um, Eli, you know, uh, Zanino with the home runs. I earlier, I named those top guys, Will Smith, um, uh, you know, JT Ramuto, the obvious guys. I, you know, I named Tyler Stevenson a not so obvious guy that'll probably benefit from the DH. And I threw in a guy like Kiebert Ruiz did not really stand out as a rookie. Um, but he is a good hitter. I expect to perform well, and I think he will get at bats as a DH, but that really has a lot to do with the team that's around him. Still, there's a risk there. But he is elevated well above where a lot of, for me, he's elevated well above some of the other part-time options or the other guys that aren't going to like, you know, the, the kind of that middling tier, because I think that there is a legit path to him getting a lot of extra bats as the DH. Cause I think that it's stand to help the nationals. They don't have any other standout options to be a DH there. So I think that he could gain a significant amount of at bats. Again, I don't want everyone to hone in him specifically, but like, I was just kind of agreeing with because you. Because you're going to, right? Because that's your guy now. <laughs> yeah, no, ride or die with Kiefer Ruiz. I don't think I have yeah. a single share, to be honest. Uh, but he's just no, someone who stands out. It's like, you know, I just, not everyone isn't going to get those at bats, but again, at bats are important. That's what made Salvador Perez so enticing. I mean, I, I talked him up preseason last year. I didn't see 40 home runs coming. But everyone's taken like guys like Will Smith over him, who obviously had a fantastic year too. And I was just trying to make the point where he's not injury prone. He had one injury. He usually plays a ton. He's going to get you know that that's the whole thing here. So catcher, I do. Yeah, I think there's a I think there's a significant gap. You got to find out where the at bats are coming from. And I agree with you. Get the at bats. The at bats are the important. And you know, there's a lot of risk. I feel like every show that that we're all doing right now just is going to devolve into closures and catchers by the end of it, because that's like, yeah, the, yeah. you know, which is fine because that's like, that's the tough nut to crack. That's what we're trying to figure out here. Um, the other and that's the what, important thing is uh, a uh, pitching. Do you take, do you just, do you, do you go into the middle glob of pitching or do you invest mm-hmm. early and then just take like hitter, 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 hitter. Right. That's the there's, there's a lot of differences of opinion there too, but like with the catcher thing and the closer thing, that's why I like to, even though there may not be tons and tons of options, that's why I like to rotate my options because I don't want to be, I feel like I'm so, you know, there's such a tight knit group there that I don't want to be involved with the same guy over and over and over again. And that goes back um, to the original question, right? Of do you change up your options? Um, do you change up your strategy or do you kind of stick to the same strategy and change up the players, which I think, is more where you lean, right? Like rather yes. than change up your entire roster construction idea of a balanced team, you have three pitchers here uh, that you, let's say you like Lucas Giolito, you like, um, you like Aaron Nola, um, right. you know, you, you, you know, you're alternating them rather than like, Oh, Aaron Nola went, I'm going to go a complete different direction. Now you can just have like, yeah, similar tier of players that you kind of alternate through teams. If you know, you happen to have a series of players in that same area, same in any other position though. You know, if you like a lot of the late third baseman, although me and you love Yom Moncada, we happen to land on him sometimes. Uh, You know, you want to, you want, if you're like late first base, late third base, you know, you want to alternate around a bit. Yeah. And again, especially when it's such a concentrated pool, because um, now I will say there are times where it's like, dude, I I can't get another share of this guy. Like, I don't want to be, especially with a catcher, you know, we know the injury propensity there. So it's like, occasionally it's like, 
I don't want to do this, but I'll take Travis Darno, I guess here, you know, like sometimes I end up doing stuff like that because it's just like, I'm still building a portfolio. I still have lots of teams here and I can't be overweight on, uh, you know, Kiebert Ruiz. I'm just kidding. I'm not, but you know, just a, a name like that. So, um, I think this topic leads into, and you know, let's not spend much time on it. I, I don't know that you want to either, but like we've really focused on like the high volume approach, but I do think this kind of leads in and I can let you take the reins on this a little bit more, but like, what about somebody who thinks everything we've talked about so far is hogwash and would never play high volume. And it's like, Hey man, I got my main event seat, uh, for, you know, March 30th or whatever. And that's what I'm doing. Um, or maybe they do one or two main events. Like, what do you think the approach should be for that individual? Um, anything I would be saying would be hypothetical because I wouldn't do it. But um, what do you? How do you think that changes? Because then you are trying to win an overall. Uh, maybe you don't even have to talk about the main event. You could also be talking about one of these other high stakes leagues that just kind of keeps the prizes within there. But you've got one shot. Are you drafting guys like Mondesi? Are you? What are you doing? You know, are you trying to win at the overall or are you being even more careful because there's only one shot? I, I don't know how you'd approach that. All right. So we're talking about high volume and this is anything. This is for any any dollar amount uh, to be successful. I think long term, long term at um, best ball or DFS requires volume, mm -hmm. volume. All the best players are high volume because you have a system, but there's too many variables in fantasy sports for you to defeat them in a single contest, you, I mean, you can, but not long-term. If you are the greatest fantasy baseball player in the world, we, we shouted you out earlier, Phil, um, let's talk about you for a second. You would agree with this. Phil would agree with this. He, if we calling you the, uh, you know, he's very humble though, but we're calling you the greatest fantasy baseball player in the world. He would never, <laughs> he, is. he would never enter one main event and that be it for the year. He would never, he wouldn't have a good track record because it's impossible right. to do long-term. Am, am I saying he wouldn't do well? No. I'm saying, would he win every year? No, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He would tell you he wouldn't. Um, it's impossible to do. There's too many variables. There's too many injuries. There's there's too many things that can go wrong. You want to have a system that works and you need to play it out. Um, as far as high volume, you don't have to do that everywhere. <laughs> uh, people, especially if you're playing this for fun, volume requires a bankroll, a specific amount. You don't want to overextend yourself. You want to find where your sweet spot is and then you want to extend out to what you can afford to do and something that makes sense. But it also happens with redraft. Play, people play fantasy football. People play fantasy baseball for fun. You go in there with your friends. You play your one league. Oh, no, my player got hurt. And then, you know, you give up after a couple of months. That's not kind of what we're talking about here. We're talking about seceding from a financial standpoint. Mm -hmm. And kind of in everything that requires a certain amount of volume. Um, Diversity. Too. Rob, like Rob Diversify. Uh, you know, he doesn't play in a billion leagues, but he plays in quite a few. Um, he's a successful player that we do, you know, we didn't talk about much. I mean, look at any player that does really, really well. Casey Cha. I mean, Vlad Sedler. I mean, there's a lot of players and the players that you like look to the players that, you know, if you're listening as a viewer, like someone you look up to, they're not playing in one league. Um, they're not playing in two. They're playing in a few. I'm not saying you have to spend the money. Like we said earlier, there's cheaper options. Um, you build up a bankroll, you play where you're comfortable. You don't have to win a million dollars playing fantasy baseball. It's a hobby. You know, you could, if you invest a hundred dollars and you make $500, that's pretty cool. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I think that, uh, my answer is, yeah, if you're going to be serious about making money, 
you know, if you're a spoiled kid and you just have money laying around, sure, go play in a main event in one thing. You can luck out and win. You can be good and win. You can luck out and lose. Uh, there's a lot of ways it can go. But if you want to be consistent, consistently good and profitable long term, you have to play a certain volume. Um, there's a certain we were talking about high volume as a strategy. That's different. But right. volume is kind of necessary for long term success um, to a certain degree, no matter what. I'm really glad that you landed on that because I, I think that you're right. I don't think that there is a sensible argument for having like one shot at something every single year. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree with you. And you are right. You named a lot of great players right there. And every single one of them, I would say minimum has five leagues. I mean, I, I doubt any have any less than that. And you don't have to do the crazy stuff I did like last year for best ball. That certainly is not something that's required. For example, this year, I'm looking at uh, far less teams, but I would still consider it a volume play. So you said, it, you said it very early in the episode. If you feel you have an edge, no matter what it is, player evaluation, I think you said, whatever roster construction, if you feel you have an edge, you know, enter leagues and, 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 and use your system, but you have to enter a certain amount of leagues to, um, kind of neutralize bad luck, you know, neutralize uh, a few of the variables you can't control that you have to do. And if you are good, um, you will hit at that certain percentage that we were talking about and you will be profitable. Um, you, bad luck can hit you here and there, but you know, uh, doing well, will will offset that. So you're not going to, if you enter 10 leagues, you're not going 10 for 10. Like you said, you, you only need to hit on a certain amount of them, but if you are good and you have a, um, something to offer. If you think you have an edge, it will work out. Um, you know, you just have to be willing to invest that much, but yeah, other than that, I mean, yeah, if you play, if you play less, the variables creep in and you can't do anything about it. You know, it's not your fault. It's just, it's the way of the world. Yeah. And, and honestly, as I'm sitting here, the more I think about it, you know, you've got Toby Batflip crazy who I know has done like three main events usually when he's there or um, our Ohio boys, Dave McDonald and Jake Hallisker. They've, usually got a couple of those and then maybe some other format high stakes thing on the side. So yeah, everybody there's no has such got, thing as, there's no such thing as a good player that plays in one league per year. And you yeah. listening right now is like, I do it. I don't care about your 15 team home league where it's you versus a bunch of people that don't even know that the Cleveland guardians are a team. Like, you know, <laughs> we're talking about you know winning money from, from people that know what they're talking about. Yeah. I, I think you did bring up a great point because I, that is a thing of the past. <clears throat> Excuse me. I, I think there might be, you know, one or two people out there that I just enjoy the trip to Vegas or I just like to go up to Manhattan and, uh, you know, draft my main event team and maybe journal about it during the year and watch hey man, my good players. For them. If, they, if, they, yeah, if good you for love them. that and it's worth the money, hell yeah. Who the hell cares? Right. That's great. Yeah. Party with some buddies and watch my players throughout the year. That's perfectly fine. Maybe one of these years you win a league or something like that, but I, I'm with you. Yeah. Everybody we respect in the, industry or community or whatever word you want to use um on the twitter sphere uh it so, does seem to do that so yeah i i'm glad you brought that up and i do think volume's the way to go so. and by the way you said before we close it out it's not even everyone in the industry in the twitter sphere too i'm not trying to say that anyone of the voice is somehow important there is plenty of sharks out there in all of these leagues you'll if you if yeah. you play enough in the leagues you'll notice the names <laughs> start to creep up there's plenty of people that don't say a word uh, and you'll notice all the people if you want to look up um you know the people that make money at fantasy baseball they all have one thing in common they're playing in few uh, they're playing in several leagues they have something that they think they can exploit 
and they they try to do it and they have a system where they try to you know play it over several leagues so that's kind of what we're getting at. so and I'll, I'll say this real quick i think i respect those people the most like there are days that i just want to go full hermit mode shut it all down <laughs> delete the twitter because I, I think it's phenomenal that those guys like you don't see them anywhere um, you know, Casey Chaw did one just spoken interview with Vlad Sedler one time, you know, and, and then the rest of the guys are just kind of lore. You see their names in there um, with 40 teams in a format every single year. So I, I do really respect those guys. I, I went into one league and Zach Waxman, my friend, Zach, he, he tried jumping in and then he left immediately. Like, why'd you leave? He goes, oh, Bob Johnson's in there. I'm just making up a name. <laughs> I'm like, who the hell is that? I'm like, I'm not playing a league with him. And he's like explaining to me that this guy's like won like someone so much money. I'm like, I don't know who he is. Um, yeah. No. Yeah. There's, there's some, there's some bad, bad people out there, but yeah. Um, recap. You know, it's too much to recap, but the important thing is again. don't, don't play within, don't play, um, don't play outside of yourself, play what you can afford. Don't be afraid to start small overalls are overrated. If you're starting out, um, don't be afraid to just build your skill level, uh, build your bankroll, things like that. And then jump back. You know, if you want to get an FBC, do that. You know, there's, there's several ways you can play fantasy baseball at a profitable level. Don't feel pressured to do anything you don't want to do. Don't throw good money after bad. All those, you know, all those cliches for gambling lend themselves to fantasy baseball as well. So uh, to close things out, Brian, do you have any final thoughts? Uh, tell everyone they could find you all that good stuff to end the show. No, I think we covered it a lot. It's one of my favorite topics. So I think it's a good way to start the new year. I think, uh, you know, it's good to do player evaluation, talk about roster construction. That stuff is important. But I think you need to know I, the the bones of everything is you need to know how you're going to approach it, how you're going to play in terms of format. So I do think it's very important. You can find me on Twitter at Brian J. Seymour. Don't talk a lot on there. Uh, maybe I will a little bit as we get into 2022 and this draft season really heats up, but uh, I'm, you know, just ready for baseball and enjoying the hell out of these drafts right now. So good stuff. Yeah. I thought this was a great episode too. Uh, so hopefully mm -hmm. everyone got something out of it. You, everyone's got the itch to jump into some best ball. If you haven't tried it before, maybe you want to jump in now. Uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, M A T T W I seven, seven I M S my DMS are always open. If you want to talk baseball. Uh, so that uh, does it for the turn to podcast. We'll be back next week. See you, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day. My, oh, my. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play fantasy. I know I turn two in a day, but the lace isn't hot in my veins. I can turn two in every way, so I turn to you two today and smash play. I'm prepared to listen. The x fipping whip got me looking way past the pitches. Statistics all that I know, and I know that who is on first, you can say I'm ready to go. <laughs> I ain't trying to steal second or third. Cause I wanna win first How am I to put all of these numbers to words I know the terms from A to Z It's like a gift and a curse I know the difference between a splitter and a curve But if I can't put it in the points Man, then what's it worth? I need the truth I need knowledge Found this podcast with all of it But what they call it? Turn two Turn two What they do? Win leagues Catch out Catch out